What do you know about Jesus? Were you raised in church but know there's more to the story than the words on the page? Was his name forbidden in your home and no one ever explained why? My name is Miri Nadler and I'm curious about everything, especially the first century. Join me as we read through the Gospel of Matthew chapter by chapter and discuss the cultural, historical, and archaeological discoveries that will satiate our curiosity for who Jesus really is, what he really taught, and why those things changed the world as we know it. Welcome to Jesus Curious. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Jesus Curious Podcast. I am your host, Miri, and I'm so glad to have you. This week we are studying Matthew 3, where we learn a heck of a lot about John the Baptist. And I have my dear friend, Carolyn. She is the Jewess that knows a heck of a lot about pasta because (laughs) she is (laughs) the... The Italian, what, stallion Jew? I don't know. I don't know. Is there, is there like a motto that we've come up for you? Like, um, I've heard it said online uh, that it's a mozzarella ball. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Our favorite mozzarella ball. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you grew up messianic, your mother grew up Jewish and your dad grew up Italian Catholic or yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. So my dad grew up Catholic and my mom, uh, mostly grew up atheist actually. Oh really? Yeah. There was, I mean, like a God or culture or religion was not really a big part of, uh, of her experience. So it's been uh, it's been cool to kind of walk that together, I guess. But they both became believers before you were born. Yep. And mm-hmm. um, your dad is now he's run, he's become a travel agent and is like planning tours to Israel. Yeah. And he, they're doing all kinds of wonderful things, uh, especially. And he's in his retirement now, doing you know rediscovering who he is, which is awesome. And um, Carolyn just spends her free time studying the Bible and theology. It is her hobby. And pining about it. I I feel like you are making me sound a lot holier than I am. I also spend a lot of free time scrolling on my phone. But yes. I, uh... <laughs> you also crochet. I do. I just got, there's like a whole pile of yarn right there that's going to be my fall and winter uh, blanket project because I like making a blanket every winter because it's cozy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you color your hair with the changing leaves. I do. I do. It's a fall orangey red. It's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so <laughs> we like to start the show with something weird or funny that's happening in Israel. 
And because we're talking about John the Baptist, John the Baptist ate bugs. That's what he did. He ate weird stuff. And so an article came out in the Jerusalem Post that <laughs> called Manischewitz Frozen Gefilte Dogs. And it was I was not prepared. It was a product proposed to Israelis for gefilte fish popsicles, basically, <laughs> this summer. <laughs> you sent that to me with just the word opener, and I was like, what is she talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So the article is great. Well... Hold on one second. As temperatures sizzle in Israel and around the world, the Jewish community may be in the mood for a new frozen treat to help cool off. But are frozen gefilte fish pops the answer to that craving? We hear it's hot in Israel now. Gefilte pops would be a great way to cool off, Manischewitz explained to the Jerusalem Post. The product that even the most diehard Ashkenazi food fans would be reluctant to try was proposed by Manischewitz on Sunday. This was back in August, likely as a joke in response to a Friday CNN report about Oscar Mayer's new cold dog, a hot dog flavored ice treat topped with mustard swirl. Um, so yeah, I am going to say that I actually like this idea. <laughs> I am a diehard gefilte fish fan. I mean, sure, but cold? Yes, it's, yes, gefilte fish cold. That's how you eat it. Like, but if not they had ice the cold? Little... <laughs> yes, if they had, gave me two packets, like, one of, um, you know, like, uh, Wait, what do we have on Passover? <laughs> what what part? Uh, uh, the matzah matzah balls? No, the maror. Like, uh, oh, horosa, um, the horseradish, and then yeah. the um, you know, the apples. Um, the horosa, yeah, the horosa, right? If I had a little horosa, if I had a little bit of of the of the horseradish, and I could just squeeze squirt it on there. Oh, who needs ketchup and mustard when you have horosa and maror? And you then know, I could put it on there. I would eat that. You would you would too. I would try it if you asked me. But I would not buy a whole one myself. I would have a bite of yours. <laughs> <laughs> I think it sounds good. I don't know. But it says, two summer staples, hot dogs and popsicles, are coming together. Oscar Mayer presents the cold dog, a frozen pop that is both refreshing and smoky. When will Manischewitz give us the Cholent pop or the Gefilte pop? Asked Aviva Klompas, former head of the speech writing for Israel's UN mission. You asked for it, said Manischewitz's Twitter account with a picture of the suspect product of dubious edibility. Rabbi Manischewitz always said, give the people what they want. So clearly this is... This was a joke, but I don't know. I'm down with it. I So, truth be told, and I know that Pastor Andrew's going to hear this probably. But we're going to church right now and um I like we need to do uh like a Messiah in the Passover demonstration and 
I will be darned if we don't put gefilte fish at every single table. Like that is part of it. It is it's, part of the experience. Yes. But I'm not going to tell them what it is. Like you just have to try it. Like you can't know it's gefilte fish because people just don't try it and they don't know it's good. It's yeah. Delicious. So anyway, but that reminded me of an article that Rabbi Joshua Brumbach posted, who was on our math on our episode for Matthew chapter one. And that was, I didn't send this to you. It was no. how is Manischewitz made, which is the, the wine, the kosher wine that's traditionally drunk, unfortunately, at a lot of, um, you know, Jewish events. And this I do not approve of. It is not good. It tastes like cough syrup. But so they go through this whole thing about like how complicated it is because it has to be kosher. They get the grapes, they get them, they make, they grow them in upstate New York, which is their first problem. Wow. Yes. I, I see the shock on your face. It is like, that's your, why? No, no need. But then they have to go through all this rigmarole to make sure that it's kosher. But this is, um, this is the crazy part, okay? The real work of making Manischewitz juice box adjacent juice box adjacent flavor comes after the juice enters the fermentation tanks. I spoke to winemakers Megan and Gerke on the Friday before Rosh Hashanah. This is from the forward, by the way, which was also the final day of Kosher Crush. Things sounded hectic. The two women, who both fondly refer to the wine as Manny, are in charge of keeping Manischewitz mostly famously sweet taste on brand. I was surprised to learn that the grapes are fermented dry, meaning the yeast eats all of the sugar and the juice and the wine is not initially sweet. It's after the fermentation that Megan and Garricky begin to titrate the flavor, adding sugar. Until I've, it gets to the trademark syrupy taste. <laughs> I was afraid that's where that sentence was going to end. Like somebody can, but also like they add the sugar. Can't they just stop? <laughs> Here's my question. Can I try it before the sugar was added? Like the, where's the draw? Like where's the Snyder cut of this man? You know, like give me, give me the pre-sugar because now I'm curious. Right. I mean, it probably tastes pretty bad, though. Like, very tart. But again, I would take a sip of yours. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not going to buy a whole bottle myself. But I'll I'll take a sip of yours and we'll have it with the frozen gefilte fish pop. And we'll call oh, it. Oh, you know what might be good, though? Like, if you took the frozen gefilte fish pop and you dipped it in the Manischewitz. Mary. No, Sorry, that was a journey too far. Sorry. <laughs> Sometimes those Passover flavors, they just come all together and they taste like Passover. You know what Have I mean? you ever, after Thanksgiving, made um, like a Thanksgiving burrito where you warm a, port warm a pot tortilla and you like add all of your leftovers, like odds and ends, and then you put it in a tortilla? Obviously, no. you can't do the tortilla thing for Passover, but, like, 
it could be a warm piece of matzah and you just like make a matzah sandwich. I've done that all in a sandwich. Yeah. I've done it all in a sandwich for sure. Like I've actually, (laughs) I've made myself gefilte fish sandwich with the haroset and the horseradish and like a little like crunchy like matzah crackers in between maybe some parsley it's not bad (laughs) it certainly sounds worth trying once and something that would be quite enjoyable as like a filter fish enthusiast yeah it's like a summer treat because it's cold I don't know. It's it's kind of like it, gefilte fish. I I will say it's like one of those things that you can't have every day or every week. You know, like you enjoy it for the special time. The oh, you meant like outside of Passover, you've made that sandwich. One hundred, of course, because like you have to have the bread. I just when you said bread, I just thought you meant matzah. I was like, oh yeah, she's making a matzah sandwich. No. No. no oh. Hmm. Because here's the thing. This is what I do. I buy two. Okay. For everybody listening, this is how you eat gefilte fish. First of all, some people make it themselves, and that's good. But what you, if you're going to buy it, you don't buy the jar. That's disgusting. You go to the frozen section. And the frozen section has the log, the gefilte fish log. And then you boil the log and then you have to um, like let it get cold. You boil the log for like, I don't know, 30 minutes or something. And then you like let it get cold for eight hours. And that's like chef's kiss. So good. I might have just been doing it all wrong my whole life because I don't think we've ever gotten the log of no you gotta have the log the log is everything okay I'll keep an eye out this upcoming Passover because I gotta do it the right way (laughs) you have to do it the right way I have to do it the right way it will change everything that you thought you knew about because I can neither up until this point I can neither confirm or deny if all I've had is the the jar the jar because like eyeballs you know that's like the perfect thing to bring out like honestly like if it's halloween and you don't want to get halloween decorations you just need to get the gefilte fish jar like don't even put googly eyes put it out on your front porch children will be terrified no candy here only only tricks no treats Open the jar and take a whiff. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Oh oh my goodness. That's a way to make friends with your neighbors. This is like the perfect segue into John the Baptist. You realize that. Uh Halloween? Yes. That is the the smell of a gefilte fish jar. Oh, oh. When you say it like that, yes. Yes. Imagine. 
Okay, so let's talk about them a little bit, because this is what I thought about today in my brain. Uh-huh. I never thought about this before. Okay. John the Baptist, son of Zechariah, the high priest. Uh-huh. Is a priest. Was he just shirking off his temple duties his entire life? Wasn't there a temple rotation? Like a like there were people that had like specific times that they had to go serve and then they went and did right, other but things. Like, was it like jury duty cuz he was in the wilderness like his like letter came and like he just <laughs> never get the showed summons. up? Um, I don't know. That's a really good question. But I, I thought a little bit more about that. So you so you did a little bit of study on John the Baptist. Because uh, I was like really kind of wanting to learn about the Essene community. Did you study a little bit about that or no? Uh, I mean, I, I know a teeny bit about the Essene community. Um, well, I know a heck of a lot now, so <laughs> Cause today, because I was just like, I got to know. I, I've been tortured by this man for like months. Tell me more. Okay, because people, <laughs> people are like, he was, oh, he was part of the Qumran community, obviously. And then people are like, no, he wasn't because of this or that. And, you know... Because of, you know, these reasons and I'm like, my head's exploding. So I just did a, but I, I listened to a bunch of college lectures about this today. Talk about boring, right? But they were so fascinating to me. And so um, basically the Essenes were this group of, um, they were very puritanical um, Jews. You could think of them like... Pure, they, like Puritans, basically, of Judaism. Because I, I heard they were pretty strict. Like, or like harsh. Strict. Um, they found themselves on the northwest part of the Dead Sea and um, very close to Ein Gedi, where David hid from Saul. Um, and if you are like modern day, if you are traveling from Jerusalem to the Dead Sea, or you're going to En Gedi, or you're going to Masada, you are like the very first thing you hit after you hit like the camels that are tied up to, you know, gas tanks or whatever. Um, <laughs> they're like sad looking and they're like, you want to ride my camel? And you're like, they don't look very happy, um, is going to be um, the Dead Sea Scroll Qumran um, site, like the archaeological site. Um, so that's going to be there. And that's where they lived. And there they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, which they found basically every single scroll of the Old Testament, except Esther, or fragments of that at least, and but eighty percent of what they found has been Jewish texts or Essene texts, which were like prayer books or 
um, rules for them to follow or just some kind of philosophy that they had or whatever. And so, uh, the, they, there were different groups of them. So the Qumran community was especially strict, but there were, there were like, let's say that Essenes were the genus and Qumran was a species and there were different species of Essenes. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense to me. That's the, I, the word I was looking for earlier was strict. I said harsh, but I was like, not harsh in a bad way. But yeah, stricter. Right. So the Qumran community was men only, and there were several groups that were men only, but there were some groups that did include families. And um, so there were, yeah, many different sects in the Essene community. And they were really about the a reaction to the Hasmonean dynasty, which if you have listened to episode two, where I talked about the 400 years of silence, um, the Hasmonean dynasty was created um, after the Maccabean revolt, when the Maccabees were basically given license to rule over um, the land of Judea, however they saw fit. And so there was a lot of corruption of the temple at the time, a lot of politics, and the Essenes said, to heck with that. It was kind of, you could almost con compare it to the Catholic Church and the Protestant Reformation's happening, so there's like these Lutherans and there's the, you know, Anglicans and there's the Catholics, and then the Puritans are like, we hate all of that, we're doing our own thing, and the pilgrims moved to the United States. That's what the Essenes were. They were like the pilgrims. So <laughs> that that was who they were. Does that all jive with you, Carolyn? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, they had many rules, and they were basically like trying to create their own priesthood. <laughs> Whoa, I didn't know that. Yes! Isn't that nuts? So... They were so really is it crazy then that, like, what's that? If, if they were trying to create their own priesthood, like, what does that mean about John being the son of a priest and, like, yes. hanging out with them? Yes. So they were attracting as many of these uh, people of priestly lineage to their groups as possible. They were also attracting Levites and others, but they're mostly interested in people of priestly lineage. Um, and also we know that's where John was hanging out. So, um, and this is where the whole baptism thing comes from. Now, you know, Carolyn, that one thing that Christians might be really shocked to learn is that baptism is not a Christian creation. Nope. I'm sure that you've run into that a few times. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I've got kind of a different rant about that, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> so up to this point, uh, immersion or water immersion was 
mostly just ritual. And I have, but, but very, very, uh, common. Like it happened a lot. All the time. Yeah. And if you had, I mean, it was mostly, most serious. This is what I found in my study of it was like, so strange to me that the most serious, um, full immersion was for nocturnal emissions Hmm. because it's the only time in the Torah that God says that for full immersion, but in any case, um, your dishes needed to be immersed. Uh, women need to be immersed after like two weeks after, well, 12 days after their period. Um, you need to immerse if you touch a dead body, you need to immerse after several things that make you unclean. And there are many things that can make you unclean. Unclean here is not um, a synonym for sinful. Correct. And I think that's where sometimes people get mixed up is, is they think unclean and they think, oh, like sin, like sin makes us unclean, that sort of thing. But like sometimes unclean, you just got to wash your hands or you got to wash your body or you got to wash your stuff. Um, and it was not like a, a moral judgment on the people who were undergoing emission, uh, immersion necessarily. Um, it's just like clean and unclean is not a direct uh, substitute for the words sinful and unsin- uh, sinful and unsinful, sinful and holy. Anyway. Right. right. It was just about a natural part of life and it mainly had to do with access to doing things in the temple or doing other things if you were a woman or what have you. (laughs) So um, I listened to this other university lecture about the kind of evolution of immersion and he started talking about Bathsheba and how we know that with Bathsheba, it wasn't a full body immersion because she was on her roof. So it was probably just kind of like you stood in a bucket and you took a bowl and you threw water over your head or something like that. And we don't really know what it was, but uh, the Greeks, were really into cleanliness and they were really into bathing. And so they created these baths in their homes. And, um, and so the bath, you would sit in it and it was like a really cool, like senior bath, you know, like the ones that you walk into (laughs) with the door. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Like a like a, a walk-in sauna almost. Yeah, it was like it was so it was it was awesome, and it had a little seat, and you clo- and you got in there, and then it was filled with water, and then you had a bowl, and you would you know still use that vessel to pour stuff over your head, but you just kind of sat in there, and they're really into you know being clean, and so hellenization a lot of it was hey we kind of like the stuff that those greeks are doing but we got to be different because we're not greek 
So they were like, okay, well, we're gonna do that for our immersion, but we're not gonna allow use of vessels. So we have to dunk. Oh. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And I guess so, that makes more sense than like throwing water with your hands. Right. And then it became like, well, you can't, the, the water has to be living water or it can't be taken from with a vessel into another vessel. So this whole thing about vessels, and of course, as the rabbis got more and more involved, it got more and more complicated, as it always does. And um, by the time we get to the to the first century, um, we have these really like cool things where it's basically a hole in the ground, and you walk down these steps, and you can just dunk <laughs> really easily, <laughs> and or you can go into the Jordan River or what have you. Um, so anyway, uh, back to the Essenes. The Essenes were the first people who basically combined this um, idea of, because they were in search of purity of the heart that immersion you not only needed to rid your be ritually clean you needed to be um spiritually clean mm -hmm. and so they immersed every morning oh to rid themselves of sin so they immersed all the time and they talked about something called baptism of the Holy Spirit. Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding you. Well, that has some implications on a lot of people's theology. Is it, doesn't it? Yeah. So, amazing. I learned this today. Yeah. But, um... I feel like I feel like we got to put a pin in that and maybe come back to that at another time after maybe more research. But that is that is. Could you send me that college lecture? Yes. Or do you remember where you found that? Because that That's is super interesting. Okay. Yes. So um, they there is this document, and it's called the Manual of Discipline. Um, but the that doesn't Essenes sound have. fun. <laughs> yes. And under the station of, of those who are to be excluded, um, it says this. He cannot be cleared by mere ceremonies of atonement, nor cleansed by any waters of ablution, nor sanctified by immersion in lakes of rivers, nor purified by any bath, Unclean, unclean, he remains so long as he rejects the government of God and refuses the discipline of communion with him. For it is only through the spiritual apprehension of God's truth that man's ways can be properly directed. Only thus can all his iniquities be shriven so that he can gaze upon the true light of life. 
Only through the Holy Spirit can he achieve union with God's truth and be purged of all his iniquities. Only by a spirit of uprightness and humility can his sin be atoned. Only by the submission of his soul to all the ordinances of God can his flesh be made clean. Only thus can it be can it really be sprinkled with waters of ablution. Only thus can it really be sanctified by waters of purification. And only thus can he really direct his steps to walk blamelessly through all the vicissitudes of his destiny and all the way of God in the matter in the manner which he has commanded without turning either to the right or to the left and without overstepping any of God's words, then indeed he will be acceptable before God like an atonement offering which meets with his pleasure. And then indeed he will be admitted to the covenant of the community forever. So a lot of that sounds very familiar. This is written prior to uh, the first century. Wow. Um, I mean, it's interesting because the more that I kind of sit with scripture and the commandments and stuff like that, like it, it is so like everything that we do is a reminder for us and not because like, you know, God necessarily needs it. Right. Like, all of the reminders that he gives, he gives to us to remind us of his power and majesty and like all of the physical things that we do are reminders of a spiritual truth. And I think it's interesting that that even carries out in what you just read mm-hmm. and then also continues to carry out I mean, to now. Like it's not a, it's not a truth that has an expiration date on it, but yeah, that's, that's pretty, uh, pretty impressive right so and basically what they're saying is is that this water immersion that we're doing daily it it will not be um eternal like what is going to be eternal is the baptism of the holy spirit which we seek in that final day or whatever yeah wow which is what makes this passage really special. So well, tell me more. <laughs> so why does John fit the this Essene community so clearly is that the Essenes were going around telling everybody that there are sinners, there are terrible sinners and they need to repent. <laughs> and they need to you know, give up everything and join them in the desert and give up all their their things and, you know, live in communism and all of that stuff. Um, <laughs> but John had the same message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Um, he was baptizing because in, in that same idea of Uh, to cleanse of your sin, like as a ritual cleansing, not just of your ritual impurity, but of your heart impurity as a, as a temporary cleansing. Um, But he didn't seem to um, do it in the same manner in that he wasn't saying you need to 
follow me every day and uh-huh. get baptized. Bap- you know, you didn't need, you don't need to immerse every day. Like, like he was certainly pointing to the Messiah. Uh, he was doing his job as a prophet. He was saying, come for this temporary cleansing. The kingdom of heaven is near. Um, comfort and and someone is coming who is will give you the Holy Spirit who who will immerse you in the Holy Spirit for eternity. And so, um, what I really like about this is that I think and the and the next part that we'll talk about that I gave you that paper on. Um, I think it's. The more I learn about John, I think it's clear that he was with the Essenes. At least he did study with them. He did learn under them, but he wasn't, um, he wasn't like ride or die with them. He wasn't wearing their team colors. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Um, and the same with like Yeshua. Yeshua, if, if you read through the Sermon on the Mount, a lot of the questions that he's answering is like, are you with Hillel or are you with Shammai? Like the two schools of thought were Hillel and Shammai. And most of the time he sides with Hillel, but sometimes he sides with Shammai. He's like, you're not going to pin me down on this because I'm with God. I'm about what God thinks. And sometimes Hillel got it right, and sometimes Shammai got it right. And you can learn things from both people. But I'm I not wearing their, their team. I'm not waving their flags, guys. That's not what I'm about. And I think I that's think the that, same for John. And I think that is a an eternally relevant comment for all of us. To learn from everyone. <laughs> yeah. Or at right. least explore explore the the arguments and sides of things. Because quite frankly, there's not one person here currently on earth that has gotten it all 100% correct. Absolutely. I mean, like I always tell people, my friends, I always tell people that my best friend is Megan Kelly because I listen to her every day. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing that she says is, you know, she's an independent. She's like, I'm not going to wear an R or a D. I'm not wearing your team logo. I'm not going to be an advertisement for your agenda. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, I I like that. I can deal with that. You know, sounds like a good strategy. Yeah. And so, um, anyway, so, that uh, I learned a lot today. It kind of like <laughs> me up. So, <laughs> cool. So, um, let's read some of this chapter already. I have been looking at it and trying would to you, uh, pinpoint what you were talking about. But yeah, let's read it. Would you like to start out by re- reading for me? Just uh, starting in verse one and go until you say stop. Yeah. Cool. Um, I'm reading from the ESV. I hope that's okay. That's fine. (laughs) 
in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who's, who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. By the way, this passage is the only reason that I ever remember that locusts are technically kosher. They <laughs> right. Um, pay attention to the kosher bug laws. Like, I know they exist, but I'm not planning on utilizing them ever. So I don't have it memorized. Um, but it's like, I don't know what bugs are kosher except for locusts. And they anyway. were a plague on Egypt, too. Oh, you know what? I just forgot about that. <laughs> Do you think they went and ate them afterwards? I don't want to... That was that was an inside thought, actually. Um, if they're hungry. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna read the Bible again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, "You brood of vipers, who who warned you to flee from the wrath to come?" Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into fire. All right. So, I think that this verse is so cool. When I first read it with like a Bible study I did recently, um, because I immediately read it and I went to Romans 11. Yeah. Um, because the, uh, the root is referred to the mm. holy root of Israel. And um, so basically John is prophesying here that God is ready to cut the holy branches off of the, the holy root of Israel, the covenant people. And uh, those, those that don't bear good fruit and uh, they'll be thrown into the fire. And then in Romans 11, Romans 11, 17, it, God said, or Paul says, he's talking to Gentiles here. Um, but if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive were grafted in among them and became partaker of the root of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it's not you who supports the root, but the root who supports you. You'll say again, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief. But you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Um, and then back uh, 23 says, and they 
Also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will they be grafted in? For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and contrary to nature were grafted into grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? Um, so I had never made that connection until maybe a few months ago, but, um, I don't know. I just thought that was like a really cool connection that, um, here John the Baptist is prophesying to these Pharisees and Sadducees. And this is one of the few times where we actually see the Sadducees talking to people. And he calls it, first of all, he calls them a brood of vipers. And it makes me wonder if this is clearly this was a very famous situation that happened like this must this instance this occasion must have spread like gossip and was yeah. wildfire well if you think he's baptizing like in front of everyone that everyone was there for that well a lot of people heard it. person yeah because um, he's like basically the only person from the Essene community that's saying, you don't need to become an Essene. I'm going to give you access to this purity kind of thing. Um, but Paul is basically, I think, I think Paul's referencing this exact moment um, when he's writing Romans 11. Well, and that's really interesting because I read recently, and I meant to look it up so that I had it ready for this conversation, but um, I heard uh, that he, the whole, like, you brood of vipers, uh, that sort of thing, was a reference to uh, a couple of verses in the prophets, probably Isaiah, mm -hmm. but I don't know, I gotta look it up more, but this was connected to something else, Um in the Tanakh that he was referencing to, to kind of bring forward in this moment. Interesting. <sighs> yeah. Well, I think if you call the Pharisees and Sadducees a brood of vipers, it probably word starts, you know, <laughs> catching fire. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but, but yeah, also I find it, relevant to say that not all of the Pharisees and Sadducees were the brood of vipers. I think a lot of people um, push, especially Pharisees get the, the rap for this, uh, like everyone into a monolith and like use that as a synonym for hypocrite because there were some choice words later in some chapters and that's not true. There are nice Pharisees in the Bible as well. They're just not as famous. Not in this case. In this case, there were some pretty harsh words, but. Sure. Well, anytime I, I see that... Pharisee in the Bible, I feel like the need to defend them and maybe don't use <laughs> the word Pharisee as a slur in on Twitter <laughs> or in conversation. <laughs> well, I think that the Sadducees uh were more or less political pawns like i said you don't really see them much um 
in the Gospels. Well, they were more associated with the courts, right? And the, like temp- the judicial the system. The temp- well, temple practice. Oh, okay. Um, but in the courts too. But the Pharisees were the people that were trying to keep Israel on track with worshiping the one true God, um, with not participating in Roman, um, you know, God worship, with keeping Torah. They were the good guys, really. And the reason why you see Yeshua arguing with them so much is because a lot of people would argue that he was a sort of a Pharisee. You tend to argue the most with people you're closest to. Yeah. You tend to differentiate yourself the most from people that you are most alike. I think there's, uh, if the argument comes from good faith um, or an interest to know more, you know, one of those arguments for Hashem, um, I think it is almost a respect to argue with someone because it means you're interested in their opinion and you're interested in their time. And um, I mean, there's the famous uh, story, like Yeshua gets questions all the time. It's like, what is the greatest commandment? Like wouldn't have asked if didn't think Yeshua had a good answer. Right. You know, What's interesting is that in my study of the Essenes today, I learned that in the, you have heard it said, but I say to you statements, Mm -hmm. a lot of them we attribute to uh, the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in one in particular, where Yeshua says, you have heard your, you have heard it said, love your enemies and hate those who persecute you. That is actually him coming against the Essenes. Whoa. Yes. And also when John is in prison and he writes Yeshua and he says, I just, I need to double check. Are you the Messiah? And he says, blind, see, lame, walk, dead, you know, yeah well you know are alive all that stuff and then um so he's basically saying all the things in the bible that the messiah is supposed to do and then he says lepers are healed which is not one of the things that it says and uh the re- the, this woman who gave this lecture, she said, the reason why I believe he says that is because the Essenes were so concerned with purity and ritual purity and uh, priestly purity that they didn't let anybody in their camp that had any deformity or any disease or any kind of anything that wouldn't allow you to serve in the temple. And so they were uh-huh. very discriminatory towards lepers. And um, so the fact that Yeshua was so hands-on with people that were, uh, you know, deformed or had diseases uh, showed his real kind of, uh, like, I am not them. I'm not associated with yeah. them at all. It creates so, that uh, that distinction or that, that difference. Yeah. 
So quite, quite interesting. And um, so John was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so John, if you are getting too close to those Essenes, just so you know, yeah, I am touching these lovers. <laughs> We love everybody here. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So if you want to continue with verse 11. I would love to. Um, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat and Okay, so um, as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So basically, exactly what that um, passage from the Essenes said, that water is only temporary, um, but this person who is coming is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and that's going to be permanent. So, um, and then I'll go ahead and close out the chapter, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the pa- the the article that I sent you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then Yeshua arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have the need to be baptized by you, and yet you are coming to me? But Yeshua answering said to him, Allow it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. After he was baptized, Yeshua came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and settling on him. And behold, the voice from the heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So, beautiful. Okay. So, what was the article that I sent you? All about discipleship. Yes. Now, the important part that I wanted to talk about, because like I said, it's a little backwards because chapter four is more about disciples. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to talk about um, the master uh, disciple relationship. Yes. And we know that John had disciples. Mm-hmm. So if John had disciples, um, what would Matt, according to the article that I sent you, that we'll talk, by the way, to our listening audience, we're going to get really, really in depth in this process next week. But if John had disciples, that makes John a what? A rabbi. A master, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> and if if John is a master, then he was once a what? 
disciple. And he had a... He had his own uh, master. Correct. And when he became a master, what was the process? Um, are you talking about the three-part the three part education process? No. Basically, um, when his master decided it was time that he had learned enough and it was time for him to become a master... What happened? I don't remember. <laughs> I did read the article, though, I promise. <laughs> so let's boil it down. So basically, disciples, um, once you get to the disciple stage, which is the last stage in basically a Jewish person's education, if they reach that far, which is a huge honor, um, they follow around a master who they have asked to follow around and if accepted, they follow this guy around and they do everything that person does. Um, they, you know, if they, that person uses the fork with the left hand, they use the fork with the left hand. If that person, you know, puts on their right shoe first, they put on their right shoe first. If that person puts their hair behind their ear, they put their hair behind their ear. Everything. The imitation is, absolute they memorize everything their master says so when the bible says to imitate christ or imitate messiah that's literally what it means imitation 100 be a disciple so so john because he had disciples he is a master and we know he was once a disciple because to become a master you had to once be a disciple and so he has a master and when he has learned enough the master says, okay, you have learned enough. You may now become a master. And the master baptizes him. Mm. And then once he baptizes him, he is a master and then he may gather his own disciples. How is that baptism different than the baptisms that John was giving everyone else, right? Is it like full immersion then? Because I mean, I think that it's very hard to know what all the bapt, you know, like what the format of all the baptisms were. It's like there's a there's a baptism for when somebody converts. That there was one back then. There's a baptism for when somebody dies, which I would think is the akin to what actual believers now are supposed to do when they become a believer in Yeshua is a death baptism. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a baptism for your dishes. There's a bat. You know, they're, yeah. they're all different, right? That's and they're done true. differently. That's true. And, um, so like the Essenes would baptize with clothes on. Because, really? Well, yes. wait, I got baptized with my clothes on. Hold on. <laughs> that makes a lot more. I was like, Oh who no, it's yes. Be well, because they did it so frequently. Um, but like, I don't, we don't know if there were nude baptisms in the first century. Um, 
there probably was for a woman for her period. Because um, that's the that's still like a an unclothing yes. full yeah. And then a lot of men, you know, they immerse before Shabbat, and some men have the custom of being nude, but others don't. So it's kind of like they're just different customs for how to immerse or, you know, go through Tevilah or Mikvah um, based on what it's for and what you're doing. Um, but I don't know what the actual, um, the, you know, the thing was that they were doing uh, to like, like, did somebody, you know, <laughs> I think it's funny, like, when you see paintings of John the Baptist baptizing Yeshua, it's like, <laughs> like, Yeshua's holding on, like, people do with their, like, pastor now, <laughs> you yeah. know, he's, like, dunking them, you know, <laughs> like, no, he probably dunked himself, probably, I'm thinking, but in any case, so... So John the Baptist was baptized in the name of his master. And I would assume his master was probably from the Essene community. And um, so, so John the Baptist sees Yeshua. Yeshua says, well, you need to baptize me. And John says, no, you need to baptize me. And then Yeshua says something very interesting. He says, allow it at this time, for in this way, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And I'm thinking, this is Yeshua being legitimized as a master by yeah. John. And that's got to be so crazy for John in that moment because, like, this is, like, who gave John that authority, you know? Like, to, to tell the Messiah that, yeah, you can, you're allowed to follow and, and teach others. Like, you can do this now. Like, that had to be so crazy for him in that moment. And like, of course he resisted because who is he to tell Messiah that he is a master now? Like it, he yeah. is of the Lord. Right. But this is well, how it had to be. Anyone was confused. Yeah. Like he had the to heavens make open up in the spirit of God. <laughs> Oh, yeah, then that, okay, so it is so funny uh, that this is the part of the chapter that I got and that you sent me, the article that you sent me, because they kept um, referring to, like, this author. Mm -hmm. I can't pronounce it. It's Lois Fairberg. I'm not sure. Uh, but the book is Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus, and she wrote this one which is not directly cited in the article. And she wrote a couple others and I read all of them. And then I found more that she wrote that I didn't know because they were cited in the article. Anyway, um, the, this is, I'm going to take us on a tangent actually. Did you have a thought that you wanted to finish before I go 
No. Okay. Um, so the whole like spirit of the Lord descending upon him and behold a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Like that's actually a passage that she talks about in here um, with uh, again this context of like a rabbinic teaching because um, one rabbinic uh, thought or one rabbinic technique at the time was called like stringing pearls, which is where you'll start a sentence and then you like fill it in the rest in your mind. Um, the only one that I could think of was like, you know what they say about people who assume or like, you know what they say about assuming. And then I'm not going to say the rest of it because it's kind of naughty, but like, you know what I'm talking about in your mind. Right. And so like, that's an unholy example, but there are plenty of holy examples in the Bible. Um, and apparently um, God saying like, this is my beloved son is one reference. Um, and then with whom I am well pleased in is another reference. Um, and she actually talks about it, uh, but in the context of uh, the example in Mark, because like you said earlier, this major event happens in every single gospel. Um, and it's the you are my son is from Psalm uh, 2-7. He said to me, you are my son and today I've become your father. And then with whom I am well pleased um, is from Isaiah 42.1. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. So when God was saying, this is my son uh, in whom I am well pleased, what he's saying is, I am, this is my son, I am the father, and then he will bring justice to the nations. Um, wow. So it's a whole, it's a shorthand way of saying um, the whole salvation story mm-hmm. in, in this one moment. So not only is you know, Yeshua in this moment stepping into being a master. He's also stepping into like his whole prophecy. Like, like not that he needed to step into that, but it's being publicly declared. Like he is being publicly declared as a master and God is publicly declaring, you're going to see some amazing things happen because, you know, the voice that's been crying in the wilderness has been leading to this moment. Yeah. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Ah. Anyway, it's a really good book. It's Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus. I recommend it. This is one of the very few books that I have, like, written in pen all of my notes. Because usually I don't have to do that. I'll have to get it. It was, you know, I, um, I'm not a reader. <laughs> I'm sure there's an audiobook too. <laughs> but sure none of these theological audio. books are ever like on audio. <laughs> uh, well, you should write to the author and ask her to do it. I know. I'm like, I'll I'll put them in audio format for you. Yeah. <laughs> you could just um copy and paste the whole text into your Google Translate and then have just hit play on Google Translate and it'll read it out to you. Oh, that's the way to do it. Yeah. Super efficient, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> What's the purpose of this this baptism, you know, 
because I feel like if you talk to my pastor at my church, he's going to say, uh, baptism is going to be the biggest sermon you ever preach. <laughs> it's, a yeah. public it's a public declaration of your faith. And that's it. Um, and then if you talk to a messianic person, they're going to say, well, uh, baptism, it's just tabula. It's just like any other ritual. Um, and I'm like, well, clearly it's not. Because it it's written down so much. It, 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 it's something different. Like th this is something different. Um, it's not like a conversion baptism. It's not, um, it's closest, I think, to a death baptism, what uh, Yeshua commands in the, you know, Great Commission. Um, but it's not like a, I, I thought, like, is it like a turning into a master? You know, go and make disciples, baptizing them, like have your disciple and then raise them up to be a master and then baptize them. But no, that doesn't make sense either because when I think about, you know, um, Acts 10 and then Peter um, telling Cornelius the gospel and then he starts speaking in tongues and he's like, oh shoot. And then he's like, I guess I got to baptize you now. Obviously that man did not go through some kind of long discipleship, something with Peter. So what is it? Um, and me just trying to figure this out. Uh, and what was John doing? Why was he baptizing all these people? Why did they want to be baptized? Um, and the only answer that exists exists in the Essene community. They were the only ones that were going around like saying, like really kind of combining this ritual and moral um, equivalence for, for this immersion. Um, saying repent for the kingdom is near. You need to cleanse your, your outwards and your innards. Um, this is a temporal solution for your your moral impurity. There is going to be a baptism of the Holy Spirit that will be um, that will be eternal. Um, and so anyway, it's just kind of been something that's been racking my brain. And I feel like I finally am getting somewhere, but it does seem very mysterious. Yeah. I, uh, once again, I am reminded that these words were not written down originally for our 21st century ears. <laughs> it, there is a lot of context that just isn't written down because the original listeners didn't need to have it written down because it was their life and their life is not our life. And uh, I really appreciate your, your working backwards here trying to figure out some of the additional context that, you know, we otherwise would have missed 2000 years later. <laughs> it, I mean, it is so complicated. I feel like if I went into a room and I said, tell me who I'm talking about. I'm going to mention, I'm going to mention four people, but I'm not going to say their name. And I said, 
The Midnight Ride, Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death, uh, Inoculated as Troops from Smallpox, and was a turncoat and traitor to our country. Not only could you tell me who all those four people were, you could tell me what event I was talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on. Uh, the first one was Paul Revere. The second one was... Wait, what did you say? Midnight Ride. Yeah, wait, that oh, was wait, Midnight Revere. Ride. Uh, give me liberty or give me death. Oh. That was... Uh... Man, now I don't know enough about it. Revolutionary War. Um, then it was uh, George Washington. It was mm -hmm. the smallpox. Yeah. No. Yes. Uh, and then uh, Turncoat is Benedict Arnold. Man, who was giving liberty to give me death? Patrick Henry. Uh, you know, I was going to say the wrong name. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah. still, like, you knew exactly who I was talking about. You knew the event I was talking about. Yeah. And um, maybe not, well, I guess I've seen enough men on the street things to know that not everybody in this country would know who I was talking about. But if it was about current events or, you, you know, something like that, then people would get it. Yeah. Um. Certainly would get it here more than they would, you know, in a different country or certainly a different era. Right. And we have to think of the Bible in those terms. I mean, the Bible, that's the mirror that, you know, that's what stuns me. Actually, that's what gives me appreciation for the, for God and his word is that the Bible is so complicated. These things are so complicated and yet. People come to a saving knowledge of Yeshua every day. Yeah. Isn't that yeah. Am amazing? Yeah. It's I, so uh... complicated and so simple. And I, I thank God that he is able to let his good news go forth with just... Um, very few details. Yeah. Anyway. So, yes, grateful, grateful. Anyway, to my listeners, thank you so much for listening. Um, this is such a cool chapter. Uh, I, I love... John the Baptist, or Creepy John, as they call him in The Chosen. He is cool, creepy. and uh, <laughs> But he is interesting nonetheless. Um, please subscribe to this podcast. It is available anywhere where you want to listen to podcasts. Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you want to listen. You can email me, jesuscurious at gmail.com. 
and I am at Jesus Curious on TikTok and Instagram. Next week will be chapter four, and we are going to learn all about Jewish discipleship. It is going to be intense, and forewarning, you're going to feel like, ah, oh, man, discipleship was a lot harder than I thought it than I thought it was. Well, you know what? We're all just working as hard as we, we can. And uh, God just expects us to say yes to the next thing. So I look forward to talking with you next week. Everyone have a good one. And yeah, we'll Deeper talk to you next time. Thanks. than the holes in the dark And higher than the stars and dreams Further than time tells a soul You're closer than the breath that you breathe Once I met a man who was murdered Raised on a stake like the snake But in Jerusalem and you could see the truth in him And it shone like an innocent child Shone like an innocent child, yet Grieved like a man with an adulterous wife He stood in the midst of exile As the kind hand that extends to humanity From the depths of Hashem The walking instructions of Him Your love is deeper than the holes in the dark And higher than the stars and reefs Time tells a soul Yet closer Than the breath That you breathe Redemption of great Israel Was born on Sukkot Grew strong in the instruction Healing in the junctions of darkness Inspected four days and found no blemish Four days and found no blemish One day wickedness Hope to say the rabbi's God has been willfully gave himself over As the ransom lamb of Passover To buy back Israel from the world's disorder First fruit of the resurrection from the dead Your love is deeper than